I've uh, titled this morning's sermon. How many of you have ever read the book of Joel? Let's see your hand. You've read through the book of Joel. Okay. So you may have an understanding as to why I've titled it of locusts and men. A natural disaster has struck the southern Jewish kingdom of Judah. Now remember, Israel is now in two parts, the northern part and the southern part. The southern part is called Judah, and the northern part is referred to as Israel. The capital of the northern kingdom is Samaria, and the capital of the southern kingdom is Jerusalem, just to get your mind kind of settled in on where we are geographically. And the prophet Joel's ministry is to the southern kingdom, Israel. This natural disaster is a plague of locusts. And what do locusts do when they come into a field? They strip it of everything that's living. And that's what was happening here in the kingdom. Most important resource to these folks was their agriculture. Uh, the prophet says, as devastating as this is, and people count their... Uh, their uh, their wealth by the acre. The more land they had, the more wealth they had, and the more uh, fruit producing that land was, the wealthier they were. Now, the locusts are stripping all the vegetation off that land, and that means, in effect, they're stripping every dollar these people have got in the fields. The prophet says that as devastating as this disaster is, there is more to what's happened than what meets the eye. What does the prophet Joel believe is going on? That's the question I'd like to ask our interviewee this morning. And our interviewee is Joel. Now, as he come up, comes up, look at him and see if this is how you thought Joel looked. He looks pretty Joely to me. I don't know. Well, good morning, Prophet Joel. Good morning. Sir, you have begun to speak out about the devastation we see around us. You say God is behind what happened, but your critics say you have a distorted and cruel understanding of God. We've come to a time when we don't see God's hand behind anything. Sometimes God allows bad things to happen. He's not eager to punish, but he will use such things to bring his people to repentance. His judgments are therapeutic, not punitive. I, I, I don't know about that. People are hurting. Or maybe on a lighter note, even the bar hoppers are crying. The wine industry has been devastated by the plague, so there's no more happy hour. And you don't think that's therapeutic? Look, throughout our history, from the days of Moses until God, until today, God has used natural events to call us to repent from our sinful and destructive ways. This seems to be the only way we get it. God first calls to us in a whisper, and then we tune him out and turn him off. It isn't until he hits us upside the head with a two-by-four that we start to pay attention. That is a hard way to learn. But as you go back and learn from history, after the dark night of desolation, God always brings a sunrise of blessings. Well, that's encouraging. I've heard you... I've, I've heard you've been told by God that this plague has implications for the future. And would you share that vision with us? Well, there's too much involved just for a conversation like this, but I've got a new book coming out. Everybody's got a book coming out. <laughs> what God told me is in there, 
Maybe you and your listeners will read it and discuss it sometime. What's the name of the book? Joel. Joel? Joel. Then it's about you. No, it's about you. Hmm. Thank you, Brother Sam. Appreciate it. Let's go to our text, Joel chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Joel chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Let's stand for these four verses. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Phetreol. Hear this, ye old men, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation, that which the palmer worm hath left hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left hath the caterpillar eaten. Thank you. Maybe seated. What's this all about? Keep your Bible open to those, those pages, if you will. After a severe locust plague, God calls Joel to describe what's happened. Well, anybody can, you know, it's like the weather. They're going to tell you what happened. I figure the easiest way to know the weather this morning is open the window, look out there, and find out what's happening. But people will tell you what happened, but they won't tell you why it's happened. And in this case, God wants Joel to tell the people what's happening and why it's happening. There is a reason you understand why things are happening in our society today. It's not just the observation of what, it's understanding the why, and we'll try to get into that. He wants to speak prophetically how this present devastation is foreshadowing distant future events that will come to pass. Yes, even events that are past where we are, events that are going to take place in our future, Joel is going to speak to some of those. We'll discover how the prophet Joel's words spoken 2,800 years ago are actually relevant to today. Think about this. Locusts were used by God to strip away the nation's false sense of pride. Prosperity was measured by land fields and livestock. The people of, Ju of Judah needed to be asked, whose are those fields? The land of milk and honey, those purple mountain majesty, the results of hard work, or did creator God have something to do with it all? You look around and you say, look what I've done. There was a, I think there was a, a, a group of uh, politicians who were saying a few years ago to the people, uh, you didn't do this on your own. The government did it. We didn't do this on our own. I got news for them. God did it. Where did that rich soul come from? What makes the rain to fall and the sun to shine all in the proper proportions so that the seed you bury in the ground, which you did not invent or manufacture, will sprout and bring forth fruit at the exact moment programmed into the cell's code? How does that happen? How is it you go down to the, down to the store, used to be Agway, and you go to Tractor Supply, and you buy a little packet of XYZ corn, whatever it is, and you bury it in the ground at a particular date, and if it's watered, and if there's sunshine, you know that something's going to pop out of the ground at a given point. 
And you're going to look to see if it's germinated at that particular moment. And guess what? 99.9% of the time, it will be there at that point. And then we know that by the 4th of July, it'll be knee high. And it won't be long before we're picking corn and being blessed by what farmers have planted. But the farmers didn't invent the seed. It's God who invented the seed. When we stand on the hills of life, overlooking the accomplishments that we have done, will we shake our fists to the heavens and say to God, this is what I did without you? Or as the Beatles once said, we are more famous now than Jesus. What arrogance. Then the locusts come, and after the fact we ask, what are we to do? And Joel answers in Joel chapter 3, verses 13 to uh, Joel chapter 1 verses 13 to 15. Here's what he said, gird yourselves and lament ye priests, howl you ministers of the altar, come lie all night in sackcloth you ministers of God for the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord, alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand and as destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Joel writes in verses 13 and 14, it's time for the nation to repent. It's time for the nation to fast. It's time for the nation to pray. It's time for the nation to gather in the temple can't you see the handwriting on the wall? Can't you look around you? Can't you get your head out of the sand and see what it is that's happening all around you, where we are on God's scale of time? Doesn't it appear to you that things are becoming disparate? Doesn't it appear to you that what was right is now wrong, that things are upside down? Don't, doesn't it appear to you that we're in the midst of chaos and what's going on on the streets of our country are nothing short of rage? Where is it going to end? How is it going to end? Last Sunday, September 11th, America paused to remember what happened that morning 21 years ago. When the Twin Towers fell, what did America do? It went to its knees and did in part what Joel told Judah to do. It wept. I remember people in this congregation in prayer and crying. We cried out to God. We went to church. All of a sudden, you remember the phenomenon? The churches were full for a couple of weeks. The country and its leaders united. Flags flew in every neighborhood. I went to Brooklyn to some of my old haunts, to some of my old neighborhoods. You know, Brooklyn is just a group of individual countries. You have a place where Jewish people live. You have a place where uh, Hasidim live. You have a place where Italians live. It's all broken up like that. It's wonderful. It's a tapestry of America. And I said, I wonder how many people are flying flags in this neighborhood. And so I went to a Hasidic Jewish, and they're not patriotic in that sense. Flags were flying. I went to a Puerto Rican neighborhood called Sunset Park. Flags were flying. I went to the Italian section, Bensonhurst. Ralph Cramden used to live there. And uh, you don't know Ralph Cramden? Are we serious or what? 
We're supposed to remember, you forgot. <laughs> I went to that neighborhood, flags were flying, and flags were flying just about everywhere for a couple of weeks. The motto was, we'll never forget. Some didn't, others seemed to have forgotten already. This is human. This is who we are, what we do, how soon we forget. How soon Israel forgot what God had done for them through the ages. He had freed them from slavery. He had parted the Red Sea. He had brought food out of the air. He brought water out of the stones. He did all of these things. These were a picture of his grace and his care and his provision. But with each demonstration of that care, they proved that like we, we become ungrateful. What has God done for you? Are you grateful to him? Are you showing God that you're grateful? Have you forgotten what God has done in your life? Especially, I think we forget in moments of another new crisis. We forget what God's done. We, you know, when we get into an argument with people, we forget how good they've been to us in the past. Very easy to forget how good people have been to us in the past when we're in the middle of a brouhaha with them. God reveals to Joan that this, Joel that this pattern of human rebellion against the Lord, along with the prevalence of sin and evil in the governance of nations, would one day demand God's direct intervention. Joel knew, the prophets knew, that what is going to happen to the people of this planet eventually is going to have a day of reckoning. In the last days, the Bible says that there will be a day of reckoning. Verse 15, here's what Joel writes. We read it. The day of the Lord is coming. That was over 2,000 years ago. That was so many years ago, almost 3,000 to be precise. The day of the Lord is coming. And as, as it says in the New Testament, and we keep hearing the day of the Lord is coming and it never seems to happen. The day is coming. You may not believe it. You may not like it. But if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you're praying for that day to come, amen? Even so come Lord Jesus. God has revealed to Joel that human institutions are corrupt. That's included his chosen nation, Israel. So God gives a warning to humanity for all to hear, for all to read over these 2,800 years here in the prophetic book of Joel. His warning, one day you will have gone too far. That day is coming. Now we say, but, but the Holocaust and this and that. There is a day that God says we will have gone too far and God is going to have to intervene. What is that day? I don't know. And if anybody tells you they know the day the Lord is coming, you automatically discount them. And if you're listening to them on the radio, don't bother tuning in again because they're in vi direct violation of Scripture. No man knows, the Bible says. God's future judgment on the nations of the earth is to do exactly what so many have demanded of God. And what is that? We've basically said as humanity to God, leave us alone. You've taken us out of your institutions. You've thrown us out of the school. You've thrown us out of the courts. You're trying to get us out of daily life. Basically, you're shaking your fist in God's face and saying, don't bother me. And you know what? God is such a loving God that he's going to say, okay, do it your way. 
The day is coming when God's spirit and his church will leave the earth. John 16, 7 through 9 tells us the Holy Spirit's present work, along with the Bible, is to present the truth of the Bible to people. That's your job, my job, under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit to go around to your community, go around to your family, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ because the day is coming when they won't have another chance. Do you have enough compassion? Do I have enough compassion? Do I have enough compassion, enough care, enough conviction to stand behind this sacred desk and saying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if you reject him here, he's going to reject you in eternity. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, and we have to repent of our sin and acknowledge that Jesus came to earth to die for those sins. If we put our faith and trust in the crucified, buried, and resurrected Christ, we will find salvation, and we can follow Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 says, The day is coming when the Holy Spirit will leave the earth. What's holding back absolute devastation from the planet? What's holding back our worst fears? What's holding back the worst of the worst? It's the Holy Spirit. Working through you. We're, you know, if we're Christians and we're on fire for the Lord, you know what? We're a pain in the necks to society. And they're finally, they're finally saying it. They used to say it behind closed doors. Now they're coming out in the, out in the open and saying, we got to get rid of these Christians. Don't worry. We'll be gone sooner than you know. On God's terms. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, and this is it, says one day the church is going to leave the earth. One day we're not going to be meeting here, and I ain't going to be upset about it. We're going to be meeting there. This is what some wish in the secular culture. This is what they wish would happen, that Christians would just go away. But be careful of what you wish because you don't understand the consequences of that. They don't understand the consequences of what it means to see these Christians off the planet. Remember John Lennon wrote a song called Imagine? And in it he said, imagine there's no religion and no heaven too. That would be paradise for him. Well, we don't have to imagine what a world looks like when there is no quote-unquote. And they, when they say religion, they really mean our Christian faith. Okay, let's get it straight. They don't want our Christian faith. They don't want the God of the Bible. They don't want us preaching. They don't want us teaching. They don't want us sharing the gospel. They don't want to see tracks fluttering all over the place. They would just like us gone. But you better be careful, world, what you ask for, because we don't have to imagine what a secular, godless world would look like. We can remember because we've got history to teach us. A secular, godless Russia killed millions of Russians who would not conform. In China, a secular, godless China is killing millions of people who don't agree with them and don't follow what they say. North Korea, when looked at in, by satellite at night, is a black dot on the planet, while South Korea is a glow. And that black not only attests to the failure of their ability to keep the lights on, it also is the fact that they will turn out the light of truth every chance they get. 
We don't need to imagine what a secular godless culture looks like because we can see it in history. And I got news for you. That history will repeat itself. And as they used to say years ago, it may be coming to a theater near you. Are you ready? You don't want to allow God in the public square, in the kindergarten, in elementary school, high school. You ridicule him in the university. You want his word, the Bible, out of the library, his commandments off and out of the courtroom. You want to do it your way. Well, the day is coming when God will say, let it rip. Now, that's not exactly biblical, but it's close enough. God's just going to take his hand of blessing off this country. I think we already see that. Joel writes, a future period of horrific violence will follow the exit of the Holy Spirit and the church. The future time is referred to as the tribulation, the great tribulation, last seven years. It's marked by dictatorship, repression, crime, violence, and unprecedented deadly world war that takes place in the infamous valley called Armageddon. Let's take a look at Joel chapter 3. Verses 9 to 15. Proclaim me this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning, shares, uh, pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves. Come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be awakened. And come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit in judgment of the heathen round about. Put ye the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, and the press is full, and the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitude, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. You read these words in the book of Revelation, and we painted the picture very, very clearly. This is what's awaiting us in the near future. But we're seeing shadows of it. We're seeing the smoke from the fires of it. We're seeing the, we're seeing hints of it and clues to it that this is the kind of stuff that's going to be happening. Just moments before the armies of the world finalize a war that will destroy humanity and the planet, the Bible says that God will step in. Joel 3.16, the Lord shall also roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. That's you. He is our strength. We have nothing to fear. When the Lord takes control over the earth, the Bible says Christ will rule and reign for a thousand years. And the prophet writes in Joel 20, uh, 2, 25, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. You've been through some devastating times in your life, and you feel that joy has been stolen from you, purpose has been stolen from you, that you no longer have a, have a song in your heart I want to say that's the devil at work. And I want to say that the Lord wants to restore that song in your heart. He wants to give you the joy of your salvation. We should be coming in here with a smile on our face and anticipation of what the Lord has for us. We should be working in the fields of Hunterdon County right here in Delaware Township to reach people for Jesus Christ. 
We can't just do the best that we can do. We've got to do more. Because the world is heading for destruction. These beautiful uh, hills of Hunterdon are going to be black with fire. In the closing verses of Joel, God brings the story of Judah to a happy ending. In the closing chapters of the Bible, in Revelation, God brings the story of human history to a happy ending. For years, we've been told that there is something wrong with fundamentalist Bible-believing Christians who adhere to the prophetic scriptures that warn the world as we know it will end. Just think of how much mercy and compassion and grace God's given. He's not leaving the idea that there's a price to pay for us as a nation when we go off the deep end and we've gone too far. The Bible is crystal clear that God says, let me give you a warning. I'm going to tell you almost exactly what's going to happen. I've just read some of the verses. That devastation is coming. God, out of his love and compassion for you, your family, your neighbors, and the people of the world, he tells you exactly what's going to happen. The world doesn't tell you the consequences of your behavior. It's not telling us the consequences of what happens in the schools when we confuse our children to think that boys are girls and girls are boys. They're not telling us what can happen as a result of that. They're not telling these kids, when you go for these operations, some of these operations cannot be reversed. They don't tell us what it means to, to be hooked on marijuana and where marijuana can live, lead us. They don't tell us these things because they have no love. But God in his love will tell you the consequences. And the consequences look pretty ugly. But what do you want them to do? Paint them up? Make them look good when they're not? I think it's the supreme act of love that God tells us the penalty. It's the supreme act of love when God tells us the remedy. Amen? And he's told us the remedy. What's the difference between a message that says that the world is going to come to an end because of climate change or the world is going to come to an end because our sin is going to bring us to the point of destruction and God's going to allow it to happen? The difference is the ending about how bad climate change is going to be doesn't have a happy ending. Even though we have to go through a tribulation, even though things are dark there, then there's a bright tomorrow. But my question today is, what will it take for the world to repent? What will it take for your family? What will it take for us in this church meeting house this morning to repent and get on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ and want to share the gospel with the people around us? What does it take? What will it take to bring America to its knees and back to Jesus? Bring it back to the Bible. Dark clouds are on the horizon. What will we do? How will we answer? God used locusts to wake up men back in the book of Joel. What's he going to use to wake us up? What needs to happen? Let's pray. I think I know the answer. It's going to come that you have to stop being comfortable. That you have to stop being 
apathetic, that I have to stop being comfortable and apathetic, that we have to do all we can. Paul wrote it. He said, I want to do everything I possibly can to reach as many people as I can for the cause of Christ. He would go anywhere. He would do anything. He would not just be comfortable sitting in a chair listening. He was proactive. I just want you to pause for a moment in your mind and say, what, is it, what more can I do than I'm already doing? Is there something I can do to reach my family and the people around me or the people who I, who I see in ShopRite? Is there something I can do that I'm not doing now? That's the, that's the answer only you can answer. So in this moment, I'll pause and I'll ask you to pray the prayer. Lord, show me what I need to do. Show me who I need to do it with to share the gospel. And then I'll close. You told us, Lord, to number our days, that each day we have is important to redeem the days. As the calendar pages slip by and the days melt into weeks and the weeks to months and years, we had all the intention in the world to reach out to our neighbor, all the intention in the world to reach out to our children, to reach out to our grandchildren, to be a little bit more, not pushy, but a little bit more bold to take a stand. In this day and age, people are afraid to take a stand. They're afraid they'll be silenced. Well, we're here in this clear air. We're in this space. We can say what's on our heart. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to find the time, to make the time, to find the space, to provide the space, to pick one person that you lay in our heart to speak to about Jesus today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the challenge. I pray there would have been a stronger men, me, messenger than this messenger. But I pray your blessing on the word. It's your word that changes hearts and minds in Jesus' name.